Hey Logo Geeks, Ian Padgett here and this week we're going to be chatting with Melinda Livesey about studying logos from the Masters. Before we get into the chat, I do want to give a big shout out to FreshBooks who have been amazing by sponsoring this podcast. FreshBooks is a cloud accounting software that helps you to create invoices and manage your profits and expenses ready for the tax season. You can try it free for 30 days no credit card required just by visiting freshbooks.com forward slash logo geek and be sure to enter logo geek in the how did you hear about us section this week we're going to be chatting with melinda livesey a talented designer who founded her own agency marks and maker now i know melinda from a series of videos that was created by uh christo who's someone who i interviewed back in season one and in this uh series he gave her a detailed consultation now after watching this i couldn't help it but actually look into melinda's work further and i discovered uh, a series of studies that she worked on for her instagram feed and these turned out to be one of the best logo design resources that I came across last year. And the, the, the reason for that is because I found them incredibly educational and it really opened up my eyes to some of the uh, subtleties that are needed when uh, designing a logo. And what's even more fascinating is that she discovered how a lot of uh, really great logos from the past, including designers such as Paul Rand, very clearly made use of the golden ratio. Now, I know this topic will spark a lot of debate as there's studies and articles that uh, kind of debunk the golden ratio. And uh, there's a lot of logo designers, including myself, who have never needed to apply it to their logo design work, yet they've been able to still do uh, really great work. But I want you to kind of forget about that and um, avoid having any uh, opinions. Just simply look at Melinda's studies and learn from observation. Like what was, we're, we're not saying here that you have to use the golden ratio. It's just more from um, observation. Designers like Paul Rand clearly, very clearly made use of the golden ratio in their work, which is absolutely fascinating. Now, what I will do is so that you can have a look at a few examples for yourself. I'll add them into the show notes for this episode. And you can find that by visiting logogeek.uk forward slash 2.3. So in this interview with Melinda, we discuss her logo design studies, what she learned from them, how she started her business and how she was able to improve her logo design process too, following her consultation with Chris Doe. So we start the conversation with her reasons for starting her logo design studies. And it's worth noting that in this, we do frequently mention Christo. So if you don't know who he is, make sure to uh, listen to episode one of season one of the Logo Geek podcast. And you can learn a little bit more about him from that. So let's get into this. I introduce you to Melinda Livesey. Um, earlier this past year was when I started digging into Chris's content. I found I had seen him around a couple years ago online and I came across his content specifically about 
studying logos. I think he had posted on his future page on Facebook about studying logos and getting better at logo design. And so he had a, I don't know if it's a 10 step process. I forgot. I don't even, I don't think I finished it, whatever it was, but the first couple steps he had posted on his Facebook page and it was first redraw or trace. I think it was famous logos from the masters. So he suggested Paul Ryan, Saul Bass, and the likes. So take their logos and just trace them as precisely as you possibly can. So that's what I started with. And then he posted the following week that with those logos that you traced, then study them. And so start making notes on them, uh, draw the grid over them, just observe them and sit with them for a while and observe. And so he posted a few of his, I believe the, the Bell logo I saw of his, and there was another one and after seeing his studies, I thought, oh, this is really interesting. I never I never learned how to study logos like that when I was in school or just learning logo design. And so I figured, well, I'm going to I'm going to try this with the logos that I traced. And so I started drawing the, the grids on them. And then I don't remember if Chris had showed in any of his the golden ratio. But I think when I first I started first with the UPS logo and um, by Paul Rand. And I, I think that I was just thinking, well, what if I laid the golden ratio over it? I don't remember what triggered that thought or why I, I thought of it, but I started placing it on that logo and my mind was blown because as I was doing it, I just kept finding, because once you find one or two of the golden ratios, it's it's a never ending because it can go on for eternity because it just keeps getting smaller or bigger. So if you find one or two, it's in there, it's in there somewhere. And so I, um, I just kept doing that and that was where it started. It all started with really the UPS logo, Paul Rand and really Christo. Yeah. I know there's uh, so much that I learned from those. Um, can you kind of run through, uh, specifically what you, what you did learn from, from doing that? Because I mean, obviously we see logos all the time. Um, but seeing, uh, your studies and Chris's studies, it's like, I started seeing stuff that I never noticed. So can you kind of just run through a, a few of the like common things that you saw across different logos by studying, studying them in, in this way? Of course. So first off, the again, the UPS logo, going back to that, there were so many things that I noticed. One was that everything was deliberate. So even the placement and the size of the registration mark, because one of the registration mark, when you put that on a logo, usually, at least with myself, it was always by intuition. It was, oh, where does this look the best? What does it line up with? But with the UPS logo, there was no... I, when you look at it, you can see it's below the S, but I was just so curious. Like, why was the registration mark right there at that spot? And why was it that size? And when I started studying it, that's when I realized, oh, that's actually very intentional with how big it is, what the width of the stroke is. And also, speaking of the stroke, the stroke of the entire logo too, that comes from the golden ratio. And so I started, I started learning that all these decisions are extremely deliberate. And then it made me go back to my work and see if I was as deliberate or because I would go off of intuition or does this look good? Does this feel right? But I didn't know why I did it. And I couldn't really explain if I had to deconstruct it. But this allowed me, it'll, it, it helped me learn how to make decisions better in logo design. 
And one other thing was also being um, doing these logo studies. It's helped me observe and train my eye. So now I go back to my old work and I see, oh gosh, something's off. And it doesn't mean that the golden ratio is in there or not in there. It's just that I can now see what things are off or what things don't align or what's not symmetrical that should be. And so in these studies, I've learned and trained my eye to see when something is off or when something doesn't look right. That's amazing. I I know when I first uh, saw that those logos actually used the golden ratio, I was so surprised because uh, there's been a number of blogs and articles that uh, debunk the golden ratios and uh, there's also a lot of uh, argument from designers who kind of complain that the golden ratio is a myth so it was fascinating to see the work by uh, the greats actually use the the golden ratio so I know you've started to apply the golden ratio to your work um, how have you gone about applying that to your work. Can you talk through how you've gone about doing that? So how I started using it in my work, well, I definitely am not as extreme as Paul Rand by any means that if you start studying my logos, you're not going to find it everywhere. But what I've, what I've uh, learned to use it in is making decisions after I've already had the concept. So I'm not using it at the beginning. I'm using it just like I would a grid to line things up or to make a decision. Say if I have I have to put a circle or a dot in there or use two different circles, then I'm going to pull those ratios from the golden ratio when I go to tighten up the logo. So it's after I already have the idea drawn out and it's, it's pretty close to final, not completely final, let's say 75%, 80% there. And it's when I'm tightening it up at the end and then it again, if I'm using circles and I'll use the ratios from the golden ratio, if I'm looking at placement, I might lay the golden ratio over it to perfect where I place something. Or if I'm if I'm deciding about the stroke and how thick a stroke should be, I might I might use the golden ratio for that to make that decision in how thick something should be. Now I'm curious to know um, when you've when you've done that, you know, like because um, I I currently don't use the golden ratio. Um, I I tend to do a, uh, make a lot of my choices by eye. Now I'm assuming that uh, you're basically creating your logos as you would without any grid or without any rules, and then like like you said, you're applying that afterwards. Do you actually see a, a big difference in how it looks? Like, does, does it actually look better or are, are you simply using the golden ratio as a, a way to, like, justify your choices? <laughs> that, that's a good question. I, I believe, for one, it has made, like, I went back to some of my old logos that were not used for anything. And I was curious about that same thing. And so I applied it to an old logo and it definitely made it look better. And that one, it, it was a house and a heart. And I have that on my Instagram. And I think I sh- might have shown the before and after, but th- I don't even think I showed the very first iteration of the logo. And it was awful. Nothing lined up. It, and I look back at it and I think, gosh, how did I even present that to a client who was so bad? So I definitely see how it can improve a design. And I've seen it in my own work, how it did it did definitely 
bring up the quality of my design. I'm now embarrassed looking at some of my older ones. But then it also, I don't know if I would necessarily use the word justify, but I would use it as in it helps me make decisions. And so I'm not trying to justify that a design is great because it has the golden ratio. I don't I don't care because it could be great and not use the golden ratio. But I am the type of person that loves, I love science. I love logic. I love data. And I personally like to use something like that to make my decisions instead of just going off of my gut intuition. And so I personally like using it, but as a way, as a means to make a decision and be intentional, but not to just justify a design to say, hey, look, it uses the golden ratio. It must be great. I don't, I don't think that is a good argument. Mm-hmm. I think what we need to do is um, I get some of those images from you and uh, we'll pop them in the show notes with this episode because I think everyone would be really um, interested to see. Now, like from a, from a technical point of view, how are you actually applying that? Like, have you created your own like uh, template grids or something that, that you're applying over the top? Yeah. I actually do have a template. I saved it into my library in um, the Adobe cloud. And there's the golden ratio. Once I got into it, actually, you wouldn't think it would be. Well, for me, it was a little confusing because there are a couple different ones where one starts off with two equal squares. And then another one, it doesn't start off with two equal squares. So I have a couple of them and I don't know. I have to research it more and get into it, but um, I don't necessarily think that's um, necessary to know all that. But I have those two. I have two golden ratio templates that I do use. They're grids. And I just open it up and bring it over into um, my logo file and just lay it on top. And once I find, once I have the golden ratio I'm going to use in the logo, it's really important to not then resize it to then fit. Um, a different part of the logo. Like once you have a golden ratio size, you stick with it. And that's hard to explain if I'm not showing it, but it's, it's like, if you bring in a gold ratio, don't then um, adjust the size to fit the logo and then keep copying the golden ratio and then resize it again. Like don't resize it unless it fits within the original golden ratio. It always has to fit with that. And I think that's one important thing that a lot of people don't realize that are the haters of the golden ratio. They say, well, can't you fit that into any logo? Well, no, not necessarily. Cause they think what, what in their mind they're thinking, well, you just keep adjusting the size to make it fit. And then you can fit a ton of golden ratios in there, but it's, that's not necessarily the way it works. So um, yes, I do have a grid and then I just apply it over, over the logo. So are you then like recreating the logo in order to make those changes or are you just like simply uh, modifying like a a near finished version of that logo? It could be, it depends on how, how bad the logo was drawn in the first place. So I might actually tweak what I already have and it depends on what kind of logo it is. Like if it's just a monogram that none of the letters are connecting and it's just in placement, then I might just lay the golden ratio over and then, and then fix, adjust where the letters are or how big they are or how far they reach. And, and that's just minor tweaks. But then and the, the example of the house and the heart, 
I literally had to redraw the entire thing because the circles weren't lining up right. And the square that I used for a house wasn't the triangle. It just was all over the place. So in that respect, I did have to completely redraw it. But I I looked back at the first one as, as my sketch, you could say, and then drew, redrew it from there. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a really good idea. I, I definitely need to start trying it myself because um, I've always been quite comfortable of, um, you know, making choices by eye. But you convinced me with your studies that is definitely worth uh, kind of investigating further. And I hope that other people, you know, seeing the fact that poor Anne did it, I've, I've not read that anywhere. Literally, those studies was the first time that I'd, I'd ever seen it. And I, it kind of blew my mind. So, you know, thanks for pointing that out. And I hope by doing this podcast, other people will be able to see this and will start like studying logos in the same way. And you know, experiment with them to see if it will actually make their work any better. So yeah, thanks for doing that. It was really cool. Oh, I kind of want to, I kind of want to uh, go into your story a little bit more. So Marks and Maker, how long has that been around? It has been around for almost two years now. Okay. Can you talk through a, a little bit about your history and how that actually came into existence? Of course. I was working as an in-house designer uh, over here at Oakley um, in the action sports world. And they did a lot of uh, apparel and eyewear. And I worked from the marketing advertising departments to I I did a little bit of everything, the retail displays and at the end, um, branding and packaging and then also product graphics as well. And um, once I oh, they actually dissolved the creative department there and I, so that's when I started Marks and Maker. Okay. Um, I had to kind of figure out what I was going to do. And I had always wanted to work for myself. That was my dream. And I always freelanced on the side, even when I was an in-house designer. So I knew that that was on the table. I just didn't know when, but then when they dissolved the creative department, it was a perfect time for me to start my own thing. So I start, I did start freelancing right after I left there. And I just figured, you know, this has got to be, if I'm going to go all in with this, I can't just be a freelancer. I have to think about actually making a business. And so then I was, I was debating about, well, should I use my name? I think this is something a lot of designers go through. Should I use my name for my business or should I make up a business name or why should I make up a business name? And I struggled with all that. And I finally came up with the name because my thought was that I'd eventually like to go to the point where I do hire a team and then I'm not considered a freelancer myself. So I wanted to hire freelancers to help with certain projects and I didn't want to be the sole designer. And so I figured, well, maybe that's a good reason to then have a business and have a business name. And so that's when I started Marks and Maker. The name came from, um, I actually work with a lot of creative entrepreneurs and then I consider myself one as well. So that's where Maker came from. And then Marks, that's, we make Marks for them, right? Mm -hmm. We make graphics and Marks and logos. And so that's how the name Marks and Maker came about. I mean, it's kind of fun because there's a lot of play on words that we can do um, with that. And so that's how that's how it all got started okay and now um i i guess at that point you kind of started building your website you know to put a portfolio on there one thing that i noticed when i was having a look at your site i I noticed that you'd got other people to build the website and other people to write the content as well 
I, I know a lot of a lot of people kind of do it themselves when they start out. What's the reason why you um, chose to employ someone to do it for you? For one, I don't do websites at all. Mm-hmm. And because I wanted to start learning how to be more of the director and not the maker, I wanted to see what it was like being, for one, being on the client's end and hiring someone to do something for me and two, also being a director. So I wanted that experience and I figured, well, if, if that's what I want to do moving forward in my business, then I should practice doing that at the at the beginning of it. And also I knew... I knew that I couldn't do as good a job as another person could. And I already did my portfolio site when I was a freelancer and it, it was fine. It got the job done as a freelancer, but I knew it, I wouldn't be able to execute on the level that someone else could for the website or the copy. And I just figured, well, it's better for me to hire people who actually know what they're doing and have more experience in it than, than I do. Okay. Now I'm quite curious with your agency at the moment is uh, two years old. Have you actually started outsourcing work to other people already? Yeah, I have outsourced, not not 100%, but I, I have outsourced over these past two years when I'm able to and when the job is pays enough and I'm able to hire on freelancers than I do. Um, so I have over these past two years been able to hire some people. How how have you actually gone about like sourcing those people and working with those people? I have been extremely lucky and to where that most of the people I have actually hired have been either ex-coworkers that I know. I know them really well. I used to work with them. I know the type of work that they do. I do. I know how fast they get things done. They're trustworthy. And so I've, I've hired multiple people I used to work with when I was an in-house designer. I've hired one of my friends that's one of my best friends. She's a wonderful designer. Um, I know and trust her and know that she does good work. And then the last one that I use a lot is my cousin, actually. My cousin is also a graphic designer. So I've completely lucked out in that respect. And um, so it's mostly been people that I, I've i worked with and I know what their work is like. I know them as individuals. And so that's where I find most of my my people. Mm-hmm. So in, in terms of like communicating with the client, then when, when you do have a team like that, are you the main point of contact or are you a, kind of passing that on to, on to those um, people, but, you know, with some kind of uh, branded email address? Currently, I am the, the sole point of contact mm-hmm. currently. And I don't know if I'm going to stay that way. It depends on how big the scope of work is. I haven't actually done... Um, I haven't, I haven't done a website for a client. I have directed them when they've hired a a designer um, and developer, but I haven't actually done a website to where a client has hired me to execute it. And so possibly in that scenario, I might have the designer be in contact with the client, but for the jobs that I've done and hired out for, I've been the point of contact. That's pretty amazing. Like you've, you've done a lot in a short space of time to, you know, to get to that point within two years. Because what I'm doing at the moment, um, say when I've needed to get a website built, I've actually just passed it over to someone else and, um, you know, taken a, a, a commission from it. Um, so, you know, what you've done is, is awesome. Now, I'm uh, curious to know, uh, like, what's been the most useful book for you? Because I, I know um, a lot of people will know you from the interviews with Chris. And I, I know that you've, 
you know, you read a lot of books during that time. Was there, was there any that have been particularly key for you in terms of like advancing your business and career forward? Well, there, there's been a couple and one is, one is design based. The other one is more business. Um, the one and circling, it is circling back to the golden ratio. Um, during that time of studying the golden ratio, I found the book, the power of limits, proportional harmonies in nature, art and architecture. And I'm going to butcher the guy's name. So I'm not going to say what the author is, but if you look up the power of limits, you'll find it. And I did not even get through the five, maybe, maybe the first two chapters, but that's enough to give me enough information to then go back to the golden ratio and the grids and, and apply them. Cause it shows the pentagram, the, the, uh, gosh, there's all that, that comes from the golden ratio. And it has all these diagrams from what, what the golden ratio pattern pattern is in leaves and flowers and then it goes through even it showing up into music and architecture and it goes really deep but I don't I didn't even go past the first two chapters but those were enough to give me a basis to then bring back to my studies and to my logo design and so that book I still reference the first couple of chapters even now when I'm working with logos. So that one has been really helpful as far as the design is concerned and applying the golden ratio. Um, another book, I started reading a lot of books when I was being coached by Chris and then I all of a sudden stopped because I had to implement everything that he was teaching mm-hmm. me. So I was trying to balance between, okay, what do I read and what do I do? And it was a lot, but the creative strategy and the business of design was one that was really helpful and I'm still not done with it, but what I have read of it has been extremely helpful in my business. And the other one was the 101 things I learned in business school. And I did read that whole thing. It's a really quick read, um, but it, it really helped because I didn't go to business school and I went to design school and we have to get versed in business language and how to talk to business people that we're serving to be taken seriously as a business and not just a designer and order taker. And so that gave me the vocabulary that I I needed as a jumping off point. And now I find myself being able to relate to people in their business as they're starting their business and talk to them on a level that they feel I can relate to them as a business owner as well. And that I'm not just some designer that they need to direct. And they think that I don't know anything about their business. They actually feel like, oh, you get it. You know what I'm talking about. I just want to take a short break to give a shout out to FreshBooks who have been amazing by sponsoring this podcast. So FreshBooks is a cloud accounting software for creative professionals that's so straightforward to use. It will save you hours each week, giving you more time to be designing logos. You can easily create and send professional looking invoices, but don't worry, you can also add your own logo and color scheme too to make sure that your invoices reflect your brand. A feature I love about FreshBooks is that you can see when your clients have actually opened your invoice, so there's no more guessing. It will also send automated late payment reminders too, so you don't have to have any of those really awkward conversations. If you're listening now and you've not yet tried FreshBooks for yourself, now is the time to do it as they're offering you a free 30-day trial, no credit cards required. All you need to do to claim that is just to visit freshbooks.com forward slash logogeek and be sure to enter logogeek in how did you hear about us section. 
Now let's get back to that interview. Now we've gone through um, quite a few of the uh, questions I planned already and we've got loads of time. So I want to kind of um, dive into your process because every single person I, I talk to, they generally have quite a different process. I mean, there's always similarities. So would you be able to um, talk through how you kind of run how, like your process for working on a, a logo design or branding project? Yeah, I I recently, from being coached by Chris, have changed, altered my process slightly. Okay, would you be able to like explain what you did previously and, and what you changed it yeah. to and why? That could be really oh, interesting. <laughs> yes, I'd love to. So previously, pre- prior to Chris Doe, I had a very lengthy questionnaire. And I would, once I, I sign the client and the contract and invoice, everything's paid, um, I would give them homework, which was a question, a very lengthy questionnaire that ran through everything from why, why did you start this business to give me the story of your business, your target market, who are these people, what do they want, how is your business perceived, how do you want to be perceived, uh, what social media platforms are you going to be on? It was lengthy and I would keep adding to it or altering the questions. And I would give my clients about, it usually was done within a week. And they all did really great with it. They gave me so much information. And so from there, I would print out the document and I would study it for one to two days. I would highlight words. I would make notes on it. I would see what are the things that the client repeats over and over and over. Is there a certain word? Is there a concept that they keep saying? And because usually I ask so many questions that there was usually something that the client would keep repeating. And it would either be um, maybe an adjective of how they describe their business or themselves or their target market. It would be something within their story that kept popping up. It would be something, maybe how they want to be perceived. And inevitably, every client had something that stuck out like that, like that was repeated. And so from there, I'd make my notes and I would then have, most likely it was a call, I think. I think I used to hop on a call after that with my clients and I would dig deeper. And so I usually would have questions for them after that and trying to dig deep, like, what did you mean by this? Is this what you meant? Trying to get on the same page with them and understanding their their problems and understanding their vision And from there, I had all this information. And so what I used to do was just open up my sketchbook and I would start writing down those keywords and I would make three different buckets. And I would I would put those words together that fit. So if something I'm trying to think of an example, but the first one could be um, soft and relaxing and soothing. And so I would put those words and I'd put all the words that I found in the questionnaire in that bucket. And then the next one, I was really trying to separate the buckets as separate concepts because I would present three concepts to my client. So I was trying to figure out, okay, from what they said, I can gather three different concepts for this. And so after I made my buckets, I would start thinking on each one, okay, what represents what they're trying to say here? And that's when I would just start sketching out logo ideas And, um, I would do that. I'd also do research at the same time. So I would, I would 
type in those words in Google or in Pinterest or just trying to find visual representations of all that list of words that I had. So I would pull visual representations. I would sometimes look at how other people represented that word. um, And that's when I would go back and, and start drawing out concepts for each for each bucket of words. And then I started, it would start coming to life. Then I would have, I would have a concept and I would have a visual for each of those. And then I would just start building it out. So I'd start working on the logo of each. I'd refine the logo on each of them. And then I'd build uh, mock-ups for each of those concepts to show with the color palette and how it looks on a business card and how it looks in the wild of how that concept would live. And so I tried to tell a story. I put all that into a presentation and tried to tell a story of of each concept and walk through the different mock-ups and walk through maybe suggested photography. So I I usually would never just solely um, work on just a logo. It normally would be a whole brand identity system. Because for me, I wanted to I wanted to start working on the whole and the whole feeling of everything because a logo is only one piece of it. And that is very important, but there's also everything else that goes with it. It's the brand story. It's the the feeling with everything. And so I really wanted to, to nail down that feeling um, through the brand identity. And so I'd put it into a presentation, walk them through it. They could feel each concept. And um, that was, that was how I started. That was my previous Christo. So, okay. So doing that, how you used to do that did you find that there was problems in some way in in terms of the process sometimes and I didn't realize that there was so many issues instead until I started doing it the new way and then I realized my old way was not for one it was not efficient I spent roughly 40 45 hours on that so I'd say from start to finish it was about 45 hours and then that's one. But then the other was I did have a couple clients that the revision started getting out of hand, very much out of hand. And that was that well, it wasn't recently. That probably was two, three years ago, even before I started my Marks and Maker when I was a freelancer. And it that was horrible. I mean, we got on revision 11, 11, 12. It was bad. It was very bad. Okay, so I know there's going to be a lot of people uh, now listening to this that are thinking, that's exactly my process and I'm getting into the exact same situation. Um, So everyone's going to be really curious. How have you gone about actually changing your process? Good question. Uh, So with Chris, Chris has been teaching me for one, ditch the questionnaire. He said, do not make your clients work like that. You need to do the heavy lifting. So one, ditch the questionnaire. And then I thought, okay, well, then what do I do? If I don't have a questionnaire, how am I supposed to get all of my information? How am I supposed to get all this out of my client? And so that's when he, and if if your listeners have listened to Chris or watched his videos, um, he does use something that's called Core. And it's a strategic framework. He actually sells it on the future site. And I started, I went through core and learned how to facilitate strategy with my client to understand it was, it was almost like I took my questionnaire and made it into a workshop with my client. Cause I, I, after I learned core, I thought, well, I have been asking these questions kind of, 
I, I mean, I've, I've been doing this. This is kind of what I've been doing, but it was almost like a reformatting of how I, I got the information from my clients and, and the, re- it, it was a different relationship with them as well. I, and I realized that, that even once the client signs you, that you've signed the client, that you still have to build that trust and the rapport with them and the relationship. And they still have to, they still have to trust you and you have to be seen as an expert in their eyes, not just an order taker. And so what core did was it, it's a facilitated workshop. So instead of a questionnaire, I ditched that. I actually have a workshop with my clients and it can range anywhere from, I've done it as as short as uh, two two hour sessions to all the way to an all day thing where I'm, I'm with my client the whole day. And we, we go through this together and it goes through the users and the ideal target market, very specific into user personas. We also go through their brand and talk about the brand attributes, the mission, their why, maybe a brand archetype. So we're digging into who they are as a brand. And then the end part is the goals. And the goals are, okay, knowing your user, knowing your brand, what do we need to do now to line up, to make sure everything lines up? So a lot of those things end up being, oh, I need I need a new logo. Now we need to work on your website because I need somewhere to land. We need to do print collateral. And so it's a whole different framework than what I used to do with the questionnaire. And it's, it's completely changed my entire process. And so what I've noticed that's been doing, cause I've, I've done it now with, I want to say around eight, eight to nine clients now. Um, the first few I did it free cause I was still learning how to do it. And I've noticed that it's built, it's built so much trust. And what happens there is you don't end up with 11 revisions because I'm working now so closely with my client that after these facilitated workshops, I'm then showing them, inspiration based off of what we talked about and trying to align the vision that I understood from them and showing them back in a visual form and saying, hey, is this what you meant by futuristic? Is this what you meant by um, rustic and chic? Or I'm trying to align what I'm seeing in my head and then what they're seeing in theirs and saying, are we on the same page here? And after I get their buy off on inspiration, then I move closer and that's, um, I do stylescape. So it's a visual landscape of, of their, their business where it's not, it's not a mood board, but then it's not total built out mock-ups like I used to, but it's, it's a closer, it's, it's getting closer and closer to what their brand is going to look like. And even then I I don't work on the logos yet. It's maybe a rough sketch of a logo, but they can get the feeling and the sense of the design. And since doing this, I have reduced the time that I spend on pro- projects by, I want to say half, at least. By half? No way. I've always been curious about uh, this process and I've always thought that it would actually take longer, but to find out it's taking you half the time is kind of uh, mind-blowing. I mean, it sounds more valuable uh, too, so I-, I would assume that you would be able to charge more for this too. So, 
uh, core is something definitely I I need to look into, and I know that listeners of this are, are going to be really keen to check it out for themselves. So uh, just to make it easy for everyone now, what I'm going to do is um, after this um, call, I'm going to create a a quick link which will be logogeek.uk forward slash call um, so that people can just go and find that, learn more about that uh, for themselves. I'm, I'm definitely going to be doing that. I agree. And the other thing I want to add is it has given me a chance to raise my prices a lot because I actually charge for this portion. I charge for my process. I charge for my thinking, which that's the big thing Chris was trying to get through to me, which I did not understand. In half the videos, I was so confused because I didn't understand this process. And then after I learned it, I thought, oh my gosh, this is so easy. Now that I see the framework, I understand how you can actually charge so much money for these things because I'm actually charging now for the the thinking that I did. I did so much of that with the questionnaire, but now I'm actually charging my client for it. And then the one everything that comes after it, all the deliverables that we outline, the logo, the website, the print collateral, whatever comes after that, I charge separately for as well. But when you think about it, this whole time I've been building trust with them. I've worked with them closely. They feel I understand their vision. They they want to work with me for all this that comes after it. And so they're excited to get all this done. And most likely if they value the thinking, they're going to value the deliverables as well. Mm-hmm. So one of my questions I'm thinking, so you have that initial workshop I, I take it by that point you've 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 charged for doing you know the rebrand. How how does it work in terms of the other things that you're talking about? Do you just quote for those separately as separate jobs on on top of what you're already doing? Yeah, so I actually might give them a range of hey, if you're thinking about doing a rebrand, let's start off with strategy and see what all you're going to need, and I'll give them maybe a range like hey, this is normally what you can you can expect for this. Uh, for a rebrand or for a logo. And then once we do strategy, we actually go through and talk about, okay, now that we know this is what you need, let's just say you need a logo and you need some business cards, let's just say. that. Then I talk to them, okay, do you have a budget for this? And this is typically what you can expect to pay for a logo. And then um, that's when we get into the nitty gritty of, okay, how much it's going to be. And then it's actually open up a different project and it start a whole new project for anything that's on that list. So you're charging for the strategy session to start with, and then anything you discuss that's needed during uh, that session then gets quoted for separately, um, which is kind of within the price range that you agreed beforehand. Is that correct? Yes. Wow, that's kind of cool. So I, I definitely need to look into call myself. And as mentioned uh, earlier, what I'll do is I'll create a, a link, which would be logogeek.uk forward slash core um, for uh, the listeners out there that actually want to look into it themselves and find out more. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to ask you another question. I noticed in a recent blog of yours uh, that you spoke about mastermind groups and how they've been really important for you over the past uh, few years. Can you talk through how you went about finding mastermind groups and um, how that's worked for you? 
Yeah, a couple years ago when I started Marks Maker, right about the same time that I was working on planning out the site, planning out the name, I had went on to one of the Facebook groups. It was some entrepreneur Facebook group. I probably had, I want to say, 30,000 people. It was one of those really big ones. And I forgot who it was by. It might have been Pat Flynn. Um, or there were, there were a couple others that were pretty big at that time. I just hopped on and I asked if there were any groups in my area. I figured, well, I'd love to meet with people and see if there's any groups and there might be someone in that. And so I asked and, and someone replied and said, well, I have one that is, is that meets online. And, and that was before I really dug into Facebook groups and I didn't meet a ton of people on Facebook. I thought it was weird to meet people on Facebook mm-hmm. that you don't know, you know, unless you knew them in real life. And so it was the beginning of me actually digging into the online world and, and meeting people through there. And so I figured, okay, well, I'll try it. Well, come to find out there's this lady who had started this Facebook group that starts mastermind groups. And so she would group people together. I don't think she does it anymore, but she grouped um, people, I think between, it was roughly four people in each group. And so there were a ton of groups in there that she had made. So they're little pods, you know, of, of people. And so I got put in one, I didn't even know what was happening. I got put in one and we met on Google Hangouts once a week. I think it was about an hour once a week and we just determined the time and we met and I was so scared to be in that group (laughs) because I didn't know these ladies and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm just starting my business. I have no idea what I'm doing. And then I'm with all these ladies who probably know business and are so far ahead of me. And so I always made sure to have all of my things done by the time we met because I didn't want to be that slacker who never does anything. And so what we did was we got on a call. We did it for three months at a time and we would have, okay, what is your three month goal? We would all say what our three month goal is. And then we talk about what now knowing your three month goal, what are you going to work on this week? And so every week we would say that, but then we also talked about what we did during the previous week. If we had any issues if we needed feedback on something. And what I found really helpful was that everyone was in a different industry. And so we could give each other perspective that we couldn't necessarily get if everybody was doing the same thing or which, which I think there's, um, there's a benefit to both. There's a benefit to have people that aren't in your same industry. And then there's definitely a benefit to have people that are in your same industry. And um, so in that one in particular, everyone was in a different industry. And I was in it for about a year and a half. And then um, just different things happen, schedules and whatnot. And so we haven't met recently, but I'm still in contact with them. But that was pivotal for me to start my business because there were so many things I needed to do to get that that website to launch. I had to get the copywriter. I had to do the presentation of my work. I didn't realize how much work that actually is. And and then making sure the copy is there and then the design of the website, um, directing that. And so being in that first mastermind group, I give credit to them to help helping me actually launch that website. Cause otherwise I would have slacked. I think. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious, is, is that a paid thing? Because I, I've heard about these mastermind groups on, you know, so like the, the Pat Flynn uh, podcast you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Is that a paid thing or is it just, you know, a group of people that just want to do it freely and just... This one was free. This was just a group of people that wanted to get together and we formed our own one. So everything was just on our own. And that was just from a, a basically a Facebook group. Mm-hmm. 
yeah that's fascinating i i I need to have a look into that and um yeah i I guess anyone listening to this obviously needs to try it as well um and um yeah it sounds like it's been really useful for you so i'm going to try that as well yeah and the other one now that i'm focusing more of my time in is the pro group the future pro group with christo and i um i joined that in the summer uh during the time i was being coached by him and now all those people are roughly we're all in the same industry which i found that now to be super helpful because i'm trying to learn how to change my process into this the new strategy and it's really hard to do it when you don't talk to anyone that has done it and so being in the pro group now that has been extremely helpful now too because then i can start talking to other people and say okay well you've done it for a while how do you present it to your clients or how do you talk to your clients about it and so now now being on the side of having that group of people that are actually in the same industry it has been helpful for me to be in that mm-hmm. that group sounds really useful I, I i just happen to know quite a few people that are actually in there um so at some point i probably need to join as well and um, see what i can get out of it okay now what's what's what would you say is your uh best logo design tips Ooh. That I, I would suggest that people study the masters because if they study the masters, they're going to start that they'll learn everything that I'm telling you about the golden ratio, about how I design logos. They're going to see it for themselves. And there's a lot of people that keep saying, oh, it's a gimmick or this is dumb. And that's fine. They, They can have their opinions, but a lot of them they haven't actually studied the logos. And I say, don't say anything about it until you actually study the best logos and then form your opinion. Yeah, I think what you demonstrated with everything that you've done so far is that it's definitely worth studying the masters because there's um, stuff that they're doing within their work to make those choices. And um, with your logo studies uh, that we spoke about earlier, you clearly unraveled um, some interesting um, stuff from that. Yeah. And I figure too, if we know that it's used in architecture, we, we know that it's found in nature. Why, why would we not want to use it in logo design? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I find with, um, with the golden ratio, it's fascinating that you found that it had been used in a lot of really good logos because, um, you know, you see it in architecture, you see it in the great paintings, you see it, you see it in, you know, every, everything. So it makes total sense that it's actually in logos as well. Exactly. I think we're pretty much at the um, the end of our um, time for this. So, Melinda, thank you so much for being a guest and um, for giving a you know so much value for this. Um, you know, I, I think we can all learn a lot from um, your ability to learn to see and um, you know start to apply um, some of that learnings to our own logos as well. So, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Man, there were so many great takeaways in this episode. Uh, Melinda, thank you so much for being an incredible guest and for sharing your time with us. If you want to learn more about Melinda, uh, visit her website, which is marksandmaker.com. Also make sure to look at her Instagram feed, uh, which is also called Marks and Maker. If you want to see more of her logo studies, which as I mentioned in this, they're absolutely fascinating and it will help you to learn to see, which I think is important as a designer. 
We mentioned lots of resources here today. So to make it easy for you, you can find them all in this week's show notes. And to find that, all you need to do is visit logogeek.uk forward slash 2.3. If you want to chat about this episode and any others with myself, Melinda, and over 2,800 other logo designers, you must join the Logo Geek community on Facebook. And you can do that simply by visiting logogeek.uk forward slash community. Now, the group is free, but it's incredibly active. And there's so much um, just incredible information being shared on a daily basis. So if you are into logo design, I guarantee that you are missing out by not being in there. Like um, I've learned so much over the last couple of months from the community. And I know that others in there too feel very much the same about being in there. So, you know, you guys in the community, you guys are are amazing. So thank you for everyone that's in there and thank you for any new members that uh, plan to sign up after listening to this. So guys, thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.